excited when he said a gentleman was coming to give the word, and you're stuck with me. Sorry about that. It would work better if I had my lesson up, too. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and we're going to get into the Word. going to be in Luke chapter 12 this morning. If you've got your Bible, iPad, phone, you can turn over there. If not, as always, Scripture is going to be up on the screen. And while you're looking for that, I'll tell you a little story. There was a man named Vladimir Nabokov. Nabokov. Vladimir Nabokov. He was a Russian-born novelist. And he had several uh, uh, famous books from the 50s and the 60s. But sometime in the 1940s, he went out to Utah where a friend of his had a, had a ranch, and he spent the summer with his friend. And Nabokov, uh, he liked to collect butterflies. So this is what he did during his days at this ranch. And he was coming back in one evening after... after being in hot pursuit of a, uh, a butterfly that he did not have in his collection. And as he was telling his friend how he saw this butterfly that, that he had never been able to catch and he was chasing it, he happened to mention, yeah, and I went by, you know, the stream and I could hear somebody groaning in agony and in pain. And his friend said, well, did you stop and see if they needed any help? And he said, no, I had to catch the butterfly. The next morning, uh, they found out that uh, an elderly gentleman had been down at the uh, stream there, and he broke his leg, and he was the one crying out in pain, and unfortunately, nobody came to help him, and uh, he died. Depressing story, huh? But that's not the type of story you're supposed to start with. We want one that's funny and fun. But I read that story, and, and, and as I got to the end of it, you know, they, they actually renamed the, the stream Dead Man's Gulch or something like that. Um, and it, that is a true story. But the question came to me, while people around us are dying, how often are we chasing butterflies? Yeah, it's going to be one of those this morning. <laughs> Did you find Luke 12? All right. The name, the title of my message this morning is Mama Didn't Raise No Fool. Mama Didn't Raise No Fool. That's right. She did not. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 15. Then he said, he being Jesus, beware, guard against every kind of greed, every kind of greed, which means what? There's more than one kind of greed, right? So when we say greed, we think, we think money, don't we? But there's a lot of things that we can be greedy about. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them this story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And as I was reading that this week, I just stopped to think, and the question came up in my heart, what if we're the farm? I know Jesus is pointing us to, to the man here, and as we get further into the story, you'll see the correlation of what we're going to talk about with, with the man. But the first question and my first point is, if our life is a fertile farm, what kind of crops will we produce? If it's a natural farm and Jesus is telling us to watch out for greed, 
Are we greedy? Are we desirous of things of the world above our desire for the things of God? That's an easy place to get to. Even people that have been in ministry many, many years, even people that have seen God do amazing things can find themselves at times caught by the things of the world, trapped by the things of the world, enticed by the things of the world. One of the saddest scriptures in the whole Bible to me is out of 2 Timothy. There in the last chapter, Paul is telling Timothy, hey, grab some stuff and come see me. And the reason I need you to come see me is because Demas, having loved the world, has deserted me. What was he saying? Demas, who had been a follower of Paul, had been a disciple of Paul, got caught up with his love for the things of the world. And it pulled him away from his calling, pulled him away from where he should have been. And we don't want to be in that place, do we? And nobody ever thinks they're going to be in that place until we start to think about um, the next question. Are we more about the American dream than God's dream? I'll let you in on a little secret. Everybody sitting in this room is alive. Okay? And since you're alive, God knew you were going to be here. And since God knew you were going to be here, he has a dream for your life. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. But God, being the gentleman that he is, is never going to force you to do anything. He has a dream for you, but so often we get caught up in our dreams. In the quote-unquote American dream. How much can I get? How much can I have? How big can it be? How much can I make? How awesome can it be? And there's nothing wrong with having things. Let me tell you that right from the beginning because we're going to talk about this stuff for a little while. There is nothing wrong with having things, and that's not what I'm trying to say. But as has been said very eloquently that God's not against you having things. He's against things having you. If your heart is to pursue the things above pursuing God, the enemy already has you trapped. He's already neutralized you. And God didn't put you here for no reason. You may never, ever stand up on a platform and preach a message. Somewhere along the way, we've decided that the people that get to stand up here, they, they must be the most important. They must be the ones that God really loves. And I'm not going to question that God loves me. I'm, I'm kind of awesome sometimes. <laughs> but that's not the point. What it really comes down to is that Paul said, you know, God gave some preachers, some apostles, some prophets, some pastors, some evangelists, and some teachers. God gave them so they could equip the saints to do the work of ministry. You are being equipped to do the work of ministry. and God has a dream for you to be doing the work of ministry. Where does ministry happen? Wherever you go. Wherever you happen to be, each and every day, ministry can go on. So that's if, if, our, if our farm is a, a natural farm, but what if our, our farm is a spiritual farm? 
Sometimes we get greedy about spiritual things. Sometimes um, we can get greedy and desirous for a spiritual encounter that only blesses me. And I make all of my decisions about what blesses me, what makes me happy, the type of music that I like, the type of worship that I like, the type of preaching that I like, instead of the type of worship that's going to capture somebody else's heart, the type of preaching that's going to set somebody else free. Don't get in that place where it's all about you. You are fertile soil. You are fertile soil, all of you. You know how I know that? Because something's going to grow in your life. But it's up to you whether it is food for someone else or just weeds. Should I say that one again? You are fertile soil. Things will grow, but it's up to you whether it is food for others or just weeds. This past week, I went and got my hair cut. Don't I look good? Last week was a long week. I met with people Monday night, Tuesday night. We had the parties with the, the party with a purpose Wednesday. Met with somebody Thursday night. And I went and got my hair cut Friday morning. And there were already some things kind of going on Friday morning. I'm thinking about some things. And as I walk into the shop to get my hair cut, the girl that cuts my hair, she looks at me and she goes, are you feeling okay? Now, she's been down this road with me when I was sick. So her first question, because I had this look on my face, because if you know me, I could never be a poker player. You're going to know exactly what I think the moment you say it and I react to it. Because I can go from to just like that. If you've ever seen the video of, of them announcing that I was going to be a grandfather, I went from, yeah, what's going on? To You got to be kidding. Not that I didn't want a grandbaby. I love that grandbaby. She's awesome. She just came, came sooner than I thought she was going to come. There you go. So I walked in, and the girl asked me, are you okay? And I, I realized the moment that she asked me that, why she asked me that, because I had this look on my face, because I had been pondering and praying the whole way up there, thinking about some, some situations. But here's the deal. The girl that cuts my hair doesn't know Jesus. I planned it that way. The girl that cuts my hair, she has this beautiful purple head. But she doesn't know Jesus. And I'm absolutely convinced that I'm, on, I'm the only Jesus that she knows. Now, that might not be true, but I act that, I act that way. I act like that my life is the only sermon that she's ever going to hear. So I don't go in there each time and going, girl, you need to get saved. Jesus loves you. Or, or, I just live it out in front of her. I'm always talking about the church. I'm always talking about things that God's doing. Always. So the moment that she said that to me, I went from to smiles. No, everything's good. Everything's good. Let me tell you what's going on. And we had the best Jesus conversation we have ever had. Because we talked about the difference between relationship and religion. We talked about the difference between church people and Jesus people. Yeah. 
And I could just see her nodding her head. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because she grew up in church. You know, that's one of the saddest testimonies in the whole world. People grow up in church and never get to know Jesus. Because all they saw was the junk side of church. Is there some junk side of church? Yeah, there is at times. But that's not who Jesus is. And that's not what we're going to portray church to be. Church is a family. Right? And that's the way we're going to live it. So, be careful what you plant. Because it will come back to you. Right? All right. Going on in Luke chapter 12, verse 17. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all of my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all of my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Here's my second point. Bigger is not always better. Bigger is not always better. It is human nature to hoard. It is. It is human nature to hang on, store up, and it's rooted in fear. Now, don't anybody come up to me and start giving me an economic lesson about people need to save their money and things. You, you know what I'm saying, okay? We hang on to things out of fear. We hold on to it out of fear. Why? Because that question comes up, what if I need it? What if I need it? But it's God's nature to give, and it's rooted in love. If you understand how extravagant a giver God is, you will never hang on to something out of fear. You see, there's this scripture out of Malachi that says, God really loved throwing open the windows of heaven and pouring out blessings upon you that there is not room enough to receive. Do you serve that God? Do you serve that God? Most of us don't. Most of us serve a God that we're not sure if he really cares or would he, he's going to take something away from me. God is not out there trying to take something away from you, I promise. Okay? God is not stingy. God is not trying to steal from you. But he wants your heart to come to the place where you can give, where you can let go of anything and everything. And when that happens, he's promising you. He's saying, I promise, I promise you. Now, in that scripture out of Malachi, yes, God was talking about money. He was. He was talking about money there. But it's not just in money. It's whatever you may happen to need. What do you need? So as Christians, we need to know that we have an extravagant God. To be Christ-like, we've got to learn to plant in faith for the future. Plant in faith for the future. Psalms 126, verses 5 and 6. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing when they return with the harvest. Those who plant, plant in tears. What in the world does that mean? Give till it hurts. 
Yeah, we don't like that, do we? Give till it hurts. No. Give till it hurts. You know what? I can pull out my wallet and I can give you $5. That's not going to hurt, but there's no money in there. <laughs> my wife has been in my... <laughs> I can give you $5. That's not going to hurt me. I could give you 50 I might grumble about it, but I'd still give... But you know what? $500? I'd feel that. This is a true story. Not too long ago, the Lord spoke to, to my heart, and I, I, I talked to Lisa about it, and she said, that's absolutely God. And he said, give this person $500. And, you know, being as full of Jesus as I am, I immediately said, but what if I need it, God? But I wrote out the check. We took it to the person, and I just started crying. Not because it hurt me, because I knew it how much it meant to them. Sowing in tears. Was I going to miss that $500? Yes. But this is what the person said. They said, I had a dream last night that you gave me $500. How awesome is it? to be able to fulfill a dream that God gave somebody else. Now, if I had hung back in fear, if I had just decided not to do it, God would not have beat me up, but I would have missed that blessing of being the hands of Jesus to that person who God had prepared to receive. A missionary from West, in West Africa, I read this not too long ago, and I'm, I'm going to read this something that he wrote and he points out the price some people pay to live a Christ-like life he says October and November these are beautiful months the harvest has come people sing and dance they eat good meals December comes and the granaries start to recede many families omit the morning meal by January Families only eat one meal a day. By February and March, even that meal starts to diminish. April is the month that haunts my memory. Most of the days are passed with only an evening cup of gruel. Families struggle through the hardship knowing that they could satisfy their immediate need because they do have grain. It's the seed for the next season. It's the only thing between them and total destruction. They're waiting for the rains. And when the rains come, they will use it. The rains finally arrive in May, and the farmer takes the seed and does the most unreasonable thing imaginable. Instead of feeding his hungry family... He goes to the field, and with tears streaming down his face, he takes the precious seed and throws it away. He scatters it in the dirt. Why? Because he believes in the harvest. The seed is his. He owns it. He could do anything he wants with it. But as an African pastor said, brothers and sisters, this is God's law of the harvest. Don't expect to rejoice later unless you are willing to sow in tears. And I want to ask you, this is him asking, it's not me asking. 
I want to ask you, how much would it cost you to sow in tears? I don't mean just giving God something from your abundance, but finding a way to say, I believe in the harvest, and therefore I will give what makes no sense. The world would call me unreasonable to do this, but I must sow regardless. In order that I may someday celebrate with songs of joy. It's not about you. It's about the harvest. It's not about the immediate gratification. Because I would have ate the grain. I was hungry. It's about the harvest. Are you willing to sow to see the harvest? We've got an event coming up in just two weeks. Are you willing to sow to see the harvest? We're not taking up an offering. Are you willing to take that pamphlet, swallow your pride, and ask somebody to come to church with you? Are you willing to sow for the harvest? Because we're believing people are going to be saved that morning. We're believing people are going to have their relationship with God restored that morning. And that's an easy day to invite people because there is going to be smoked pork sandwiches. There's going to be all kinds of fun things going on. And it'll be the day that they hear the shortest message that we ever give because <laughs> we're going to have a short service. They're going to have to listen to us for about 20 minutes and we'll be done. Invite somebody. Sow for the harvest. Back to Luke, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. My mama didn't raise a fool. You fool. You'll die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Here's my third point. And there's only three. So everybody go, hallelujah. <laughs> Let's not be foolish. Let's not be foolish. God created you to be a conduit, not a holding tank. When you stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ, his whole heart and desire for you is to be a conduit, something that he pours through not a holding tank. Give it to me, Lord. Give it to me, Lord. Give it to me, Lord. Bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Does God want to bless you? Oh, yes, he does. Yes, he does. But the blessings are not just for you. The blessings are meant to be poured through you. Tell him I said hello. So how do we do that? We give. We give. We give out of our strengths and out of our weaknesses. We give out of what we have and what we need. It's easy to give out of what you have. It's easier. But it's hard to give out of your need, isn't it? 
And once again, I know you're all thinking about money because the moment we start saying give, you start thinking about money. But is that all you need? No. You need love? Are you feeling unloved? Give some love. Are you struggling with peace? Help somebody else find peace. You need a friend? Be friendly. Give out of what you need. See, there is this, this, this spiritual law that says, give and it shall be given. We want the law to say, give me God and then maybe I'll give. That's not the way that it works. Give and it shall be given and not just given. If I give you a dollar, God's not saying, hey, I'm just going to give you a dollar back. He said, hey, you give, I'll give back to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. What in the world does that mean? Well, Jesus, living in the times where most people were farmers, he was talking to farmers, talking to people that went out and collected the grain at harvest time. And as, as they're collecting the grain, they take that bag and they press it down. Why? So they can get more in the bag. Then it starts to get full and they shake it so all the grain will settle. Why? So they can get more in the bag. And God is saying, you give, and not only will you have to press it down, shake it together, but it's still going to be overflowing. It's still going to be running over. Whatever you need, give first. I know it's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but that's the way the Lord set it up. He set it up for us to give first. When I was in Africa back in the year 2000, uh, we, we hired a, a gentleman to, to be our, our translator, and we were in a very, very poor nation, the Republic of Benin. Very, very poor nation. And we hired a local pastor to be our, our translator. And this guy just really inspired me. He pastored three churches. He would get up before sunrise every Sunday and he would walk for hours to the first church and he would have a service with them. Then he would walk a couple of hours to the next church and have a service with them. And then he would walk again back into town closer to his home and have an evening service with them. And he did it week in and week out. We'd get tired of it, wouldn't we? And I asked him, I said, how, how, can, how can you do this week in and week out? See, they didn't have vacations. They don't understand the concept of vacations. That's definitely a Western thing. He didn't take time off. He did this week in and week out. And I asked him, how do you do this? And he said, God gave me everything, so I give everything back and the end of the story is that man pastoring three churches made $50 a month 50 bucks a month we were able to bless him we gave him $500 for the two weeks we were there 
And what did he do? He started crying. And he immediately started saying, well, this will buy this for this church. And this will buy this for this church. And this will buy this for this church. It wasn't anything like, ooh, I get to buy me some new Nikes so I can walk better. Buy me a mule so I don't have to walk. It was all about the kingdom with him. And I tell you, I came back from that trip. I wasn't sure if I was saved. I wasn't. Because they were living it day in and day out. So we give. Then we love. Love those that love you. And those that don't. You know, Jesus said, even the tax collectors, they love, the, they love the people that love them. It takes something else to love people that don't love you. We live in, we, we live in a crazy time in the United States where, where, where politics have taken over everything and it doesn't look like anybody loves anybody, right? But that's not the way it... It should ever be in the church. I don't care about your politics. When we come through that door, we're one in Christ. Okay? I really don't care who you vote for. When we come through that door, we are one in Christ. Politics has no place in the church. Worldly politics have no place in the church. Okay? Now, don't run up to me afterwards going, Pastor Grace, you need to understand that we got to do this. We got to. If that's in your heart, go do it. There's nothing wrong with that, but I'm telling you, I am a Christian first, then an American second. Let me take that back. I'm a Christian first, a Texan second, then an American. Okay? We, <laughs> we've got to set aside things to love people. If all you ever do is meditate on, 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 on Fox News or if you're on the other side, MSNBC, if that's all you ever do, you're going to be mad at somebody. Not in the church. In the church, we are one. In the church, we are together. In the church, we love each other. Okay? You mad at me yet? I'm, I, I'm, I'm about to make somebody mad, I guarantee you. Pastor Sam's squirming in his seat. <laughs> I'm going to make a statement. I'm not talking about a political organization. I'm just going to make a statement. Okay? Black lives matter. Now listen, if when you hear that, the first thing that, that pops up in your heart is all lives matter or blue lives matter, guess what they do? They do. But that's not the question that's being asked. That's not what's being said. Once again, I'm not talking about a political organization. I'm talking about some of our brothers and sisters in Christ saying, do I matter? Yes. And the church, 
The church of Jesus Christ needs to be the one that stands up and says, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You know why we have so much political junk going on? Because the church is not being the church. If we will stand up and embrace each other and love each other the way that Jesus taught us to, there's always going to be differences of opinion here, there, and everywhere. There's always going to be people on the quote-unquote other side of the aisle. Do we love each other? Because we've been called to love. Now, you go vote the way that the Lord puts it in your heart, okay? Please, that is your right and your privilege as an American. Vote. I'll say just like, if you don't vote, don't gripe, okay? Vote, vote. But when you hear things, try to find the root of it. Don't just get mad at something. Don't just take a political view on something. What's the root of what's being said? Because the church has the answer for the root. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then we serve. Serve where your giftings and your heart lead you. But also serve where you're needed most right now. And I'm talking to, I'm talking to NCC people. You know what? You may be called to be a prophet to the nations. I hope you are. We'll support you. We'll love you. But you know what? If you're not to the nations right now, we're going to give you a beautiful opportunity to prophesy over kids in children's church. All right? You may be an evangelist. You may be a pastor. It may be coming out of you. And God's just not opened other doors right now. There, there, is, there is this other law with with. With God, he says, hey, be faithful over the small. I'll make you faithful over the large. See, we see the large. Ooh, that's me. When I first got saved, I was absolutely convinced that I was it. Man, God got, got it right when he got a hold of me. Wow. After about 30 years of beating pride out of me. There's no place I'd rather be than right here. If God's not opened another door, be faithful where you are, right where you are. All right. We're going to finish up here. Luke 12, the last part, verse 31 and 32. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. When God asks you to give till it hurts, don't be afraid. When God asks you to step out, don't be afraid. For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. He wants to give you the kingdom. There was a song when I first... When I first got saved, back, back in 1987, yeah, there was a song on the, on the Christian radio, and every time it would come on, I'd have to pull over because I would just start, I'd start crying. Not because Christian music's that bad, that's not what I'm saying. This song spoke to me. 
This song spoke to me. And it was by a man named Steve Camp, and it was based on a sermon by General William Booth, who's the man that started the Salvation Army. And this is just the first few lines of the song. It says, some people want to live within the sound of chapel bells, but I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. And with everyone you meet, take them the gospel and share it well. Look around you as you hesitate. Another soul just fell. Let's run to the battle. There are people that while we hesitate are missing Jesus. And I promise you that this church is not called to hesitate. We're called to move. We're called to move. We're called to love. It's one thing when people come in here and they say, that's the friendliest church I've ever been in. Well, let's move from being friendly to being absolutely loving, overwhelmingly loving. I want you to be friendly. Thank you for being friendly to our guests when they come in. But let's be so loving that everything that is going on in their heart and in their life is overwhelmed by Jesus because he is the answer. This is what I want you to know. Your life is full of abundance according to what you've planted. God's expectation of his people is that they live a life seeking him first so they can have the courage to sow for the harvest. And when we know that, we know that our Heavenly Father wants to give us the kingdom so we can give it away.